Welcome to The New Normal, a series of seminary videos and podcasts inspired by a global pandemic. We are the Brothers Anderson. Each week, we will share with you insights and questions to support your study of the Book of Mormon. Now buckle up, eat your vitamins, here we go. Hey guys, welcome to episode... I don't know what episode we're on. <laughs> it seems like it's forever. I know. <laughs> and, and if we're too long and, and you would like us to shorten things... Too bad. You, you, you normally go to classes that are 30 to 45 minutes. So I was going to be more charitable um, and say let us know and we'll cut it short, but nah. apparently Brother Ricky likes to hear himself uh, talk. No, no, so. no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't All right, th- fine. Brother Ryan likes <laughs> to hear himself talk. However, this is the okay, case. I told you that, this last one was uh, Doctrinal Mastery. Uh, this is actually one of my very favorite Doctrinal Masteries in the Book of Mormon. So, so I'm buckle so, up, guys. So I'm excited. Okay, so the story is told of an old Cherokee uh, man teaching his grandson about life. He said, quote, A fight is going on inside me. It's a terrible fight. And it's between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. Man, what a jerk wolf. Kind of an awful evil wolf. He continues, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope. Serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person, too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? And the grandfather's response, and this is going to, this is going to be kind of the, the lead into our, our discussion today, Grandfather's response to his grandson is, the one you feed. So we're going to be in Mosiah chapter 3, and specifically, we're going to look at Mosiah chapter 3, verse 19, which is our Doctrine of Mastery that teaches us about the natural man. Mm -hmm. Now, before we can do that, we have to go back to chapter 2, because after King Benjamin teaches about service... And why it's so important that he as a king is teaching um, the people to be service-oriented. He is going to set a stage for this, this great truth that we, that we have learned. So in chapter 2, starting in verse 33, he says, There is a woe pronounced upon him who listeth to obey that spirit. When we say that spirit, it's the spirit. The evil spirit. Yeah, you kind of jumped mentioned ahead. in 32. Yeah, in 32, the, the evil spirit. Okay? So when you listen to that spirit, um, here, here are some of the consequences. You drink damnation to your own soul. You receive everlasting punishment. Uh, verse 36. Um, when you do, when you transgress and go against contrary to things that you know, you withdraw yourselves from the spirit of the Lord that it has no place to guide you in wisdom's paths. Verse 7 says that you come out in open rebellion against God. Verse 38, and if you don't repent, then the demands of justice do awaken his, your immortal soul to a lively sense of guilt, which is followed by pain, anguish, fire whose flame ascended up for, forever and ever. Verse 39, no mercy 
Mercy has no claim on you. And if there's no mercy, then it's this kind of this never-ending torment. So in verse 40, he's saying, wake up. Um, I want you to remember this awful situation that you can find yourself in if you don't repent. In fact, in verse 41 is another Dr. Mastery that says, in fact, I want you to consider how blessed and happy are people who keep the commandments of God. And, and, and if you hold out faithful to the end, you're going to be received into heaven. Okay, so that is, that's the warning. Is that the two wolves? Well, that's that's one wolf. We haven't got to the two wolves yet. I mean, you got the one where you got the uh, the verse thirty two is beware lest there shall arise contention among you and and you obey the evil spirit. Wouldn't that wouldn't that be the bad wolf? Sure, uh, he's he's trying to he's trying to prepare their hearts and minds because I don't think we we don't often recognize how bad the bad wolf is. Right, I mean he's going to give the title of the bad wolf in in chapter three verse nineteen, but but he kind of describes. The consequences of the bad wolf, right? Okay, so if we know that this is the awful situation, don't, don't you kind of want some good news? Right. So now, we, now well, we're now Yes, in I do, Brother Anderson. <laughs> what is that good news? Well, segue to Mosiah chapter 3. Now, please note in, in verse 3 of chapter 3 that Benjamin is going to tell us that he's had a visitation from an angel. And, and in New Testament last year, what do angels normally do? They bring glad tidings of great joy. Kind of sounds Christmassy. It does. It's For a unto you is born this day in the city of David, an angel which... Oh, wait, that's not what he says. Wait, wait. No, I don't know what you're saying. But if you look, oh, at, Mosiah, if you look at Mosiah <laughs> 3, verse 3, it says the same thing. I am come to declare unto you the glad tidings of great joy. He's actually going to say the exact same thing. It'd be interesting to know if that's the same, the same angel. Do you think it's Gabriel? Gabriel? It could be. I mean, Gabriel's Gabriel. kind of that announcing angel. Brother Anderson says, yes, this is Gabriel. Uh, sure. Doctrine according to... I'll, I'll declare, I will declare false doctrine. <laughs> so that it Gabriel. It's not false doctrine. It's speculation. It's way different. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's the same message. Because the, the same glad tidings of great joy that he brings every time that he shows up in the, in the New Testament is the exact same thing he talks about in, verse, in chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Right? Okay, so yeah. So the glad tidings are verses 5 through 11. Right. Now, here's what we want you to do. Would you please pause the podcast for a moment and read verses 5 through 11 on your own. And I want you to be thinking about in in these verses what are the gladdest tidings in your mind. Right. And maybe okay. and maybe which ones actually reverse all the woes that are in chapter 2. So right? pause pause the podcast and now and we're back. Okay. <laughs> Ho- hopefully hopefully you did what you're asked to do because in, in identifying the good tidings, now we're going to get to what King Benjamin, the, the kind of the centrality of King Benjamin's message. I mean, he pretty much explains both sides of this uh, already, but then he really condenses it down um, into just uh, these kind of these couple of verses here. So uh, let's read verses eight, 18 and 19. 18, 18 and 19. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I think the rest of this time we ought to spend some time just looking at some of these words just so that we know we're all on the same page. So okay. uh, he says, For behold, he judgeth. This is, if you go back to 17, let's be honest, let's start in 17. No other means given, nor any other way, nor means whereby salvation can come unto the children of men, only in and through the name of Christ, the Lord omnipotent. 
Okay, so, so salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Okay. For behold, he judgeth, and his judgment is just. And the infant perisheth not, that dieth in his infancy. But men drink damnation to their own souls, except they humble themselves, become as little children, and believe that salvation was and is and is to come in and through the atoning blood of Christ, the Lord Omnipotent. Okay? And then comes the verse that everybody should at least have kind of ringing in their ears. Well, I feel like most of us know the first part of the verse, right? Because I think we can all quote that the natural man is an enemy to God. Right. So is that the first word you want to define, natural man? I don't know. I think we ought to just, uh, can we just define omnipotent for a second? Okay. What does omnipotent mean? I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull up my definition here. Yeah, if you just like click it. I did. Uh, James Talmadge likes to define these words, uh, but specifically... Is unlimited power. Potency is all power. All power. So the Lord omnipotent, the all-powerful, okay? That's really important to understand this because it is only because Christ has all power that this is even possible. Correct. Okay? So then let's go to 19. So natural man. Natural man is an enemy to God. Natural man, a really good definition for natural man is actually in verse 16. Okay. In fact, if you were to jump back to 16, it says little children. If it were possible that little children could sin... They could not be saved, but I say unto you that they are blessed. For behold, as in Adam, or by nature, they fall. Okay, so the natural man is... A fallen man. A fallen man. It's the, it's the, the nature of man fallen because of Our Adam's Our natural tendencies when somebody wants to pick a fight with us, and we get frustrated. Anger. So we get angry. Right. These are our natural tendencies. When we when we get some when we get something, we don't want to share it because our natural tendency is it's mine, it's my precious. Right. Right. We gain and and so it's, a it's these natural tendencies. So this is wolf number one. The natural is the man. natural man. And that then okay. that natural man has has is an enemy to God and has been from the very beginning and will be forever and ever. Now look, we want to be very clear. That there is a difference between being a natural man in the sense of what King Benjamin is trying to teach and what the Calvinists try to teach, which is man is just born evil evil and deplorable. Yeah. That's not what not he's really saying. Yeah. He's not saying that we come out of the womb or that we are born and we are just naturally nasty, awful, wicked people. If but that were he, the case, then even children... Right. Would be damned, right? But what he is saying is that because, and this is, this is Elder Bednar teaching, because we are born into a fallen world and we are made up of fallen material, our bodies are imperfect and corruptible, that we are susceptible to the tendencies, the temptations that come as, as a result of the fall and because we have an enemy that is, that is always tempting us and, and if we to be honest if we really wanted to take this a little bit like even more basic um in our current body situation our mortal bodies if god were to show up what would happen to our bodies we would probably shrivel up and and cease to exist because our bodies are imperfect impure and nothing can be in the presence of god so if you want to think of it that way on top of all the other things that was just listed from elder bednar that's why it says he is an enemy to god um, and has been since the fall of Adam, and will be forever and ever. Okay? Okay. Now, if that was the end of the verse, we would all just throw up our hands and quit and just walk away. Right. 
but there's a comma, and now it now comes the battle, and this is the hope. Um, this is this is really where Benjamin wants to to strengthen and emphasize and actually teach, um, unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so yields. Define the word yields. Um, so like yield. If I'm a driver, right, and it says yield, you give place to. Okay. Right, and that the correct definition when yeah. it says please yield or they have the yield sign. You got You got to give place for oncoming traffic. Give way. Give way. Yeah. You are giving away. And the natural man does not give way. Yeah. I, I don't like to let people yield. For those for those of you who drive, my, my natural man tendency when I'm in the car is not to let them merge in front of me. When you guys drive, you guys are enemies to God. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> okay. Enticings. What does the word enticings mean? But I mean. To entice something, it, that almost feels like a satanic word. It's almost like it's almost like Satan took the the definition of that word. Because typically we say, "Ooh, Satan entices," but in this case, no. It's an enticement of the Holy Spirit. It, yeah, it, this is the persuasion. This is the. Uh, so have you ever the, felt persuaded by the Spirit? To absolutely. Good? I mean, that's like enticed. all the that's all the time. Okay. And, and tempted? Can the Holy Ghost tempt? See, that's not Satan's word. He can't have it. Yeah, yeah. He, we're tempted all the time to do good things, but you have to yield to the, the to those temptations. Because the natural man, our, our our natural inclinations is now that's too hard. I'm lazy. I'd rather sit and play video games or watch TV. Right. We have to yield. We have to put we have to Give put place. away our, our own personal feelings. Yep. For the enticings of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Put it off the natural man and becometh a saint. Saint. What is a saint? Saint's such a good word. I love the I word love saint. It. Saint is if you're Catholic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Saint, I have written in my scriptures, the saint is one who's been reborn and has been sanctified through the Spirit. Elder Renlund defines saint as a sinner who keeps on trying. Right. That's which, what a saint is. Which is somebody who is a sinner who keeps on trying is one who has yielded to the enticings of the Spirit and has been sanctified. At least to a degree. What, what's that quote from Elder Iring, President Iring, when he, when he says... Uh, how do you know if the atonement's working in your life? Oh, if, if you like that specific quote? Yeah, I mean, how, how do you know if the, uh, if the atonement is working in your life? The answer is... That's right. No, is, no, keep going over the other way. He says, if you want to know if the atonement is working, he asks the question... Ah, if you've ever felt the influence of the Holy Ghost today, you may take it as evidence that the atonement is working in your life. So are you a, are you a saint? Can you say that that is a definition of the saint? Sure. I agree with if that. If you have felt the influence of the Holy Ghost, if you today have felt um, a spiritual experience happen, then you can say you are a saint because you have given place. You have yielded. Now, I want to I wanna point out two different verbs here. At the very beginning, the natural man is an enemy to God. Right. And we are working to become a saint. Right. Okay. Um, is is present. This Current, is now. Right. Become, and become is a future tense, is or or in, in, or at least in process. Pro, it's a process right. that's not going to be fulfilled till a later time. Right. Okay. So this idea of becoming a saint is not a one-time event. Absolutely not. Being born again is not a one-time event. Let's be honest. There Being are, converted is not a one-time event. There are days we start off as a natural man, become a saint for a time, and then we're back to a natural man. Wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. Elder Bednar says becoming a saint describes the continuation and second phase of life's journey to make good men better. There you go. Or in other words, to become more like a saint. Yeah. 
Now, here's the part that um, has been an issue for students past, okay, just in, in previous experiences. You get through that part, you becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord and becometh as a child, okay? So that part, I think we can all kind of agree that being Christ-like is being childlike, uh, pure, obedient, innocent, innocent right? Yeah. The problem is, is this next part, that this is the definition of becoming a child. Submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him. Okay, students have had an issue with that phrase. Why, why, do, they have a, why do we have a problem with the word submit? Well, I think submissive, uh, it, that one we just are like good with because that's like a gospel word. That they're submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love. That's like easy. We're like, yeah, totally. Of course, that's what you have to be okay. saying. It's the next part. Willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him. That's a hard one. I think it's a hard one for me. Why? Because this is an alignment of wills. I mean, it, he uses the word inflict. That's an interesting word to use, that you are willing to submit to God's inflictions upon you. And so that's a hard thing. So, so, so God is like a puppet master, and he's just kind of moving things around, and he just is... No, I see it more like he has a cattle prod, and he's like... <laughs> and you have to be willing to to accept those 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 little shocking moments. I don't know if I'm in, on board with that. So with how that analogy? You, well, I mean, but that's I'm telling you that's the issue that students have with this phrase. Okay, so that they have to be willing to take all that God gives them. God's going to give them hard things, and they have to just like people don't like the idea. Submitting is a negative connotation today. We look at submission as weakness. We look at it as as willingly being powerless. And so they see that and they see, they look through the, the lens of the world gives them and they go, no, no, I don't like that at all. I, I don't want to be powerless. I don't want to, I don't want to just like. I don't want somebody else telling me what to do. Sure. What I can and can't do. Yeah. Or, yeah. I don't want to be me. That's I don't called, want to be weak. It's called being woke, right? <laughs> I'm being woke. I, I do my own thing. I, you know, nobody, nobody needs to tell me what to do. I'm not a, I'm not a, um, Gonna be controlled by the masses, and I. But I, but I do think that last line is where this is qualified, even as a child does submit to his father, and I think even some students hate don't even like that phrase just because they have maybe hard they, experiences with their fathers, right? Fathers, but what is typically but, the motivation of a father? Well, you got to think of a perfect motivation uh, of a perfect heavenly father. If you've got somebody like Heavenly Father who knows all things, has all power, and knows what you need to become like him, you need to be okay that he says you need to go through this, right? So I have, I have a personal example then of this idea of being submissive like unto a child, um, does submit to his father. So my, my, my father, as a, as a family growing up, we, we always owned our own businesses. Um, and because it was a family business... I don't think child labor laws quite. Oh no, we worked. We worked for pennies, didn't we? We worked for pennies, and at very young ages. Sometimes I got gum. That was like my pain. <laughs> <laughs> and we were happy to get. <laughs> Sometimes it was a quarter to go play the the they pinball the machine. Arcade, that's right. Um, <laughs> but I remember at a very young age, probably about eight, is when I would start spending my summers working with dad. Right, that was the age. I that was that was the yeah. age. And I remember one year complaining to him that I wasn't able to play Little League baseball. Mm. 
And here's what he said to me. He said, you can have fall, winter, and spring to play soccer, basketball, run track, whatever you want to do. But the summers, you belong to me. Is <laughs> <laughs> literally what he said. Summers, you belong to me. And, and it, was, it was for two reasons. It was, I, th- I think he had a need. There was, a, there was a, a general need. But he had a purpose in his mind. Now, you need to understand that my father grew up on a dairy farm. And so eight years old, man, he was already driving a tractor by the time That's he was right. eight. Um, but what he was doing is he knew that he wanted his sons to, to learn something about the value of work and of responsibility and, and having an ethic about, about um, earning a wage. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't get that until I became a father and realized that I wanted similar things for my children. And, and I, I submitted. I was, I, you know, what was an eight-year-old going to do? I'm not going to... Yeah. File a complaint. <laughs> couldn't sue him. I, I couldn't physically overrun him. We already talked about how he liked to wrestle me to the ground. You know, he's listening to these. So, hey, Dad. Sorry. <laughs> Dad, we love you. <laughs> we, we, we do appreciate that. But the, the idea of submitting to your father, even especially because I didn't understand why. And it took a long time before I realized that, okay, all of these things that he's choosing to, quote, inflict upon me, was, was it was for an eventual good right. that I can now look back and say, okay, I'm glad he did that because I am, I am better off having learned those lessons early in life. And now it's just, this is the way life is. You know, it's an interesting concept that's all throughout ben, King Benjamin's talk here. He talks about little children over and over and over again. He talks about the little children, little children, little children. And sometimes we think of like primary age kids, but let's be honest, when we have uh, teenage experiences, we're often looking at our parents going, they don't understand us. And your parents are like, I do. I've been a teenager, and I know things are coming up, so I'm asking you to do these things. We just need to be aware that our parents strike that. Heavenly Father is perfectly aware of who you are, perfectly aware of what's coming in the future, and is setting things up for you, and this is your great test. Can you be submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, and willing to submit, submit to all things? So where does the atonement fit in all of that? I mean, we have, to be, we have to yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and put off the natural man and become a saint through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Well, it goes back to 17. No other name given or nor means where salvation can come unto the children of men. Well, and so here's what Elder Bednar, let me add to I agree with that. Let me add to it from, from our modern prophets. Um, we know that the atonement is for, for sinners, but I don't think that we understand that the atonement is also for saints, for good men and women who are obedient, worthy, and conscientious, and who are striving to become better and more faithful. We mistakenly believe that we must make the journey from good to better and become a saint all by ourselves. Right, right, right. We think that it's by our, our sheer grit, willpower, and discipline and are obviously limited capacity. So it's not the atonement's not just salvation from sin only. No, absolutely not. In fact, why does why did general conference why were there constant invitations to do good things? Yeah. Because the gospel of the savior is not simply about avoiding bad, it's essentially about doing and becoming good, and the atonement provides help. The because the savior knows what it feels like for us to have imperfections and weaknesses, he's going to give us strength 
when we put forth our best efforts to become good, um, it's available to, to help us to take that next step. When we're asked to do something that we think is impossible, work on your family history. And we, go, we throw up our hands and go, man, I never know what I'm going to do with family history. Right. And then, we, and then we just take the steps and we just try. Act in faith. All of a sudden we feel, we get these little promptings, a little inspiration, a little extra motivation. We, well, I need to ask Sister So-and-So because she's really good at this. And we start getting the help that we need. Mm-hmm. Um, his help is always available to us as we put forth the efforts to listen to his spiritual promptings. Yeah. I like it. Okay, there you go. There's, there's 319. And we'll have some prompts and some things to kind of help you take it a little bit further. Okay.